0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, one of the shows I've recently added to our files here on Theater of the Mind is one with a wild premise. A guy who wants to be a private detective advertises in a newspaper ad his prowess in solving many problems. And every week, he's not disappointed. Let George Do It was aired from 1946 to 1954. Bob Bailey starred as detective for hire George Valentine. The earliest episodes were more sitcom than private eye shows, with a studio audience providing scattered laughter. The program then changed into a suspenseful Tough Guy Private Eye series, sponsored by Standard Oil of California, now known as Chevron. Uh, John Heister, or High Stand, that would be, uh, was the program's announcer. Don Clark directed the scripts by David Victor and Jackson Gillis. The background music was supplied by Eddie Dunstetter initially with a full orchestra, and when television supplanted radio as the country's primary home entertainment, radio budgets got skimpier and skimpier and Dunsteader's orchestra was replaced by an organ. The episode tonight is called The Penthouse Roof.
2: Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invite you to Let George Do It.
3: Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If the trouble you're in is way off the beaten track and you need help that's strictly confidential, you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details.
4: Uh, dear sir, you employed the word confidential in your advertisement. Uh, well, I need confidential help. Uh, my enthusiasm for birds has led me into a predicament. I was watching starlings, but I saw something that was never meant to be seen, and it keeps haunting me, if I really saw it. Unless my eyes deceive me...
5: My eyes deceive me.
4: I was the witness,
5: the only witness, to an outrageous crime. There's nothing more I can say in a letter. Please contact me at once, and it's signed, Elliot... Wormsley. <laughs>
3: well, Wormsley, that sounds like a name on a dickens.
5: Elliot Wormsley, MS, PhD, Statistical Services, Baxter Building.
3: watcher, huh? mm mm-hmm. What kind of canaries is this statistician interested in anyway?
5: Oh, stop kidding, George. <laughs> That's a pretty grim phrase. I was the only witness to an outrageous crime. Yeah,
3: and he's in a predicament. That's a twist.
5: What was it he could have seen?
3: I don't know, Brooksy, but let's see what we can see. Let's drop in on Dr. Wormsley. <laughs>
4: These are the binoculars, Mr. Valentine. They're the ones I used to watch starlings on that penthouse roof down there. Uh-huh.
5: But that's almost three blocks away, Dr. Bremse. Yeah, I know.
4: The river house, huh? Pretty swanky.
5: Golly, George. You can see halfway around the world with these binoculars.
3: All right, Angel, stop playing. Back to you, Dr. Wendsley. So you looked for Starlings and saw Killer Hawk, and... uh, Something like that, Mr. Valentine. Okay. Now, just what was this outrageous crime? What did you see that you shouldn't have seen? Uh uh-huh. Murder.
5: I guess I dropped your
4: binoculars, Doctor.
3: Did you say murder? Uh,
4: I I can't be sure. Uh, But I just trained my eyes down there, as I've been doing for weeks. And in that instant, I'm almost certain I saw a man push another man off the roof. Uh, Of course, he had his back to me. What do you mean, almost certain, Dr. Wormsley? Well, it it was over in a second, and I, I didn't expect to see what I think I saw. Besides, statistics show that the element of error in visualization over a hundred yards is fourteen to a thousand. Yeah, well, we'll take your word for that. But why didn't you go to the police with this story? Oh, no, no, Mr. Valentine. I'm a modest man, and I don't like publicity. Besides, I'm coming up for the presidency of my club. And, uh, well, so many people think bird watching is, uh, well, a. Uh, A little peculiar. Yes, I know. You wouldn't make it. But murder is a very serious business. Uh, Mr. Valentine, if I'd seen any mention of what I suspected in the newspapers, I would have volunteered this information to the police. But as it is, no crime has been reported.
5: That's right, George. I didn't see anything about it.
4: Still, the picture of those two men keeps haunting me. I'm thinking of my reputation, but I I do have some public spirit, and I have to make sure... My conscience wouldn't let me rest if I didn't. Oh, I see. And you want me to check at the river house and soothe your conscience. That's it, young man, precisely. It uh, shouldn't take you more than a day, and I'm uh, willing to pay your usual fee.
3: <laughs> okay, it's a deal, Wormsley. Oh, Brooksy. Yes, George. Just on a hunch, get out of the Bureau of Missing Persons. See Finley. Okay. Find out if anybody's been reported missing from the river house.
4: Uh, you will keep my name out of this, won't you? Oh,
3: yes. We'll do our best, Professor. I'll meet you back here later, Brooksy. Okay, George. I'm going over to the River House. Oh, you're very fortunate, Mr. Valentine. Penthouse B is vacant and it's only $5,400 a year. Yeah, a point of information, Mr. Stevens. As I get it, the uh, sun deck of this wing facing the river is for the exclusive use of Penthouse A and B. Oh, it's very private. And Penthouse A is occupied by the Dunlaps, Philip Dunlap, the broker. So that would put you in very good company and only $5,400 a year. Well, I was thinking of something a little better, but uh, I'll let you know.
6: Look who went and rang my doorbell. Wouldn't be the fuller brush man, would you?
3: <laughs> Not unless like my samples are showing.
6: <laughs> oh, come on in anyway. I hope you'll pardon the sunsuit. I wasn't expecting company. No, it's
3: nothing at all. I mean, practically. You know.
6: I was out on the roof sunbathing.
3: And Mrs. Dunlap? That's right. Well, I'm the chap... It's been
6: a dull afternoon. Suppose we wait a while before you tell me what you want. Hmm? Well, as
3: a matter of fact...
6: You aren't going to stand there, are you? Here, sit down. <clears throat>
3: Uh, the truth is, Mrs. Dunlap, I may be your next-door neighbor in Penthouse B. Oh.
6: Well, that would be the first improvement they've made in River House without raising our rent. Uh,
3: I thought it'd be a nice gesture to sort of drop in on my possible neighbors and introduce myself. Mm. There is a Mr. Dunlap, isn't there? Uh,
6: yes, but you needn't worry about him. He hasn't been home for two days. Ah, oh, just like that, huh? it's well, Philip for you. Thank heavens. He must have decided to go up to our cabin in the mountains to brood. Or he may be staying at his club. Mm. But as I said, this looked like a dull afternoon. We're not going to let it be one, are we? Ah. Oh, fine. That wouldn't be Philip. He has his key. Well,
3: whoever it is, just explain. I'm looking at the penthouse next door. Hal. Listen, Paula, we haven't heard from Philip yet, and there are letters and contracts he has to sign downtown. All right,
6: Hal. I'm not my husband's keeper. Oh, just
3: the same. I thought you might be worried. Oh. Oh, I... Didn't know you were having company.
6: Well, this gentleman may be our next-door neighbor, I hope. Uh, Mr... The uh...
3: name's Valentine. Really, Paula. At least now you know his name.
6: Oh, Mr. Valentine. This intense young man is my husband's secretary, Hal Sterrett.
3: How do you do? I don't know what you're going to do, Paula, but I'm going to call the police and report Philip
6: Missy. Please do that, Hal. I'd feel so much better. Lord, how I hate righteous men, especially when they're young. So petulant. No, oh. where were we, Mr. Valentine?
3: Uh, I was just about to leave.
6: <sighs> a mood is a very fragile thing, isn't it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've been right, neighborly, ma'am. <laughs> goodbye.
6: I don't think it's goodbye. Anyway, it was very nice even not having known you. <laughs>
4: Mr. Valentine, Mr. Valentine.
3: Mm. Oh, Dr. Wormsley.
4: I I was waiting for you to come out of the
3: river house. But why? I thought you made it a point you were to be the unknown factor in this to you.
4: Uh, Well, uh, after you left, I, I did some calculating. Yeah, good
3: for you, good for you must be a way of getting into this empty lot without climbing over that
4: fence. And in my calculations, I discovered that the odds against anything as extraordinary as this happening to an ordinary man like me would be about uh, uh, 14,000 to 1. Mm, you don't say. Uh, so if you don't mind, Mr. Valentine, I'd, I'd sort of like to uh, tag along with you and see if I'm uh, really that one in 14,000. Uh-huh.
3: Looks as though there's a gate in this fence. If we can get these gas cans out of the way... <laughs> Oh, George! George! Hey, Brooksy, you should have brought a friend. We'd have a fourth for bridge.
4: Oh, Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Oh, George,
5: there's been no report of anyone missing in this district.
4: Oh, thanks.
5: I was on my way to your office, Dr. Wormsley, when I saw you heading for the river house. So here I am.
4: Well,
3: kids, let's see what we should see. It's
5: just an overgrown lot. Uh, That's right. George... You think that if Dr. Wormsley is right, the man would. Nothing be... like
3: checking, Brooksy. Docs, Dr. Wormsley, you did say that when you saw a man pushing another one off the roof, his
4: back was towards you. If I saw what I thought I saw, that's right. Uh-huh.
3: That would mean he was facing away from you, toward the river. Uh, yes, yes. Well, there's the river behind that highboard fence. And on this side of the building, there are only the windows and the elevator shafts and the stairway.
5: So no one would have seen him fall.
4: Mr. Valentine, over here. Over here, look. Huh? There. That's a man. I mean, it was.
3: Huh. Past tense is putting it mildly.
4: Oh, George. Then it, it wasn't my imagination after all.
3: No. No, Dr. Wemsley, it wasn't. And just to quote a few more odds, it's at least a million to one this is the body of Philip Dunlap.
2: We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Ballantyne in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about the great American pastime. If you're a baseball fan, check these two tips for getting the most out of this season. Number one, when you're driving to and from the game, use fast-starting Chevron Supreme gasoline. Special blending agents in Chevron Supreme give your car speedy warm-up and quick pickup for traffic getaways. And when it comes to hill climbing, premium quality Chevron Supreme gasoline takes you smoothly over the steepest ones. Number two, at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where you can get Chevron Supreme gasoline, there's a grand gift for you. It's a 48-page book about baseball written by Burt Dunn. You'll find in your free copy of Batter Up, the fundamentals about this great American sport. One illustrated section shows how to play each different position. Ask for a free copy of Batter Up tomorrow. It's yours at Standard Stations and Independent Chevron Gas Stations, where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. And now, back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. It's only natural for a member of the Bird Watchers Society, even when he's a professional statistician like Dr. Wormsley, to be watching starlings on a penthouse roof. But when instead his binoculars reveal one man pushing another off that same roof, well, that's just sort of a case George would get involved in. It's about an hour since George found Philip Dunlap's body in the weed-covered lot back of the apartment building. And now we join George and Claire talking to Lieutenant Riley at Homicide.
3: Yeah, what is it? Uh, Lieutenant Raleigh, Donnelly just brought Hal Starrett in. Do you want to see him now? No. Let him cool his heels out there a while with Mrs. Dunlap. Yes, sir. Now, about Dr. Wormsley, Lieutenant Raleigh? Okay, if... Valentine, okay. When Lieutenant Johnson turned the case over to me, I didn't know what I was getting in for, but I'll do my best to keep your client's name out of the case. Ah, oh, you're a pal.
5: Well, as a matter of fact, Lieutenant, you owe our little birdwatcher a debt. He did uncover a murder.
3: Miss Brooks... I don't want to appear ungrateful. Oh, no. I can always use a new murder. Oh? Uh-uh. I'm overjoyed that when you and Valentine stumbled over this homicide, you were uh, thoughtful enough to let me know about it.
5: Oh, well, it's nothing at all. If you
3: hadn't, I'd lock both of you up and throw the key away. Well, now that you've to your own sweet self, would you mind telling us what you found out from Mrs. Dunlap? Uh, well, she said she was out shopping all that afternoon, and the doorman is alibying her. When she got back, this kid uh, Starrett was still there waiting to see his boss, Mr. Dunlap. He hung around a little longer and then beat it. Uh-huh.
5: Did uh, Mrs. Dunlap suggest that there might have been any bad blood between Starrett and her husband?
3: Well, she wasn't too anxious to admit it, but it seems young Starrett was being fired. Yeah, but what was the reason? Bad spelling? or making Google eyes at the boss's wife. I wouldn't know. Not yet. Mrs. Dunlap was too broken up to go into every little detail. (laughs) Broken up, huh? I can just see her tears flowing like wine. What do you mean by that? Uh, Well, just thinking out it. Yes, Lieutenant? You can send Starrett in here now. Yes,
5: sir. Well, it looks to me as though Mr. Starrett has some explaining to do, or else.
3: Well, we know that he was there that afternoon, and your Dr. Wormsley saw a man push Dunlap off the roof. Uh, come in, son, come in, come in. Lieutenant, no, I don't now. understand any of this. I. Oh, you. Hello, Starrett. What are you doing here? Just a neighborly interest in the fate of your late employer. Say, what is this?
5: Yes, George, I didn't know you two had met.
3: Well, never mind. Now, what's this about Dunlap deciding to fire you, Start? Well, I... Uh, Why? He, uh, he didn't like my work, I guess. That's the usual reason, isn't it? You'll save a lot of time if you tell us the truth. You ask me a question. And I gave you the only answer you're going to get. You had a fight with your boss, didn't you? No. In the struggle, you pushed him off the roof. No. A man saw you from an office building. He couldn't have. Oh, Lieutenant. Yes, Donnelly. Can I see you in a minute? Yeah, okay. I'll be right back. Hey, tell me something, Sterritt. Yes? If you were already fired, why were you so worried about Dunlap? Even going to the Bureau of Missing Persons yourself? Because he was the best friend I ever had.
5: It hardly jives with the story Lieutenant Riley is building up.
3: Say, Sterritt. Yes? You're a college man, aren't you? Oh, what of it? Syracuse, 1942. What? Why, yes, but but how did you know? This uh, phi, uh, phi Beta Kappa, too, aren't you? That's right. But what are you driving at, Lieutenant? Well, uh, this Phi Beta Kappa key. The medical examiner found it clenched in Dunlap's fist. It's yours. I, I don't know how it could have gotten there. He must have ripped the key off your chain as he fell off the roof. Okay, Starrett, I'm arresting you on suspicion of murder. It's nice of you to visit me in jail, Valentine. But what's the use of going over the same story again? Paula will go right. I say it intrigues me, Starratt. Paula will go right on denying I ever gave her that key. I can't prove it. What should you believe me any more than anyone else? Because I happen to know a little more about the lady in question. Now, look, friend, let's stop being delicate. Paula decided she liked your type and made you the odd man in the triangle. That's why Dunlap was giving you the gate. Oh, I... I tried to break off with her. But she always managed to be around. Taunting me. She had me spinning on my head. Yeah, I know what you mean. Say, did you have a fight with Dunlap when he fired you? No, I... I wish there had been. That would have been easier than the way it was. Go on. He was hurt. And I was sick and ashamed of myself. He knew there were others, and that made the whole thing even cheaper. Now, surely just firing you, it wasn't the answer for Dunlap? Oh, he knew that. One of my last acts as his secretary was drawing up the papers that cut her out of his will. Now, wait a minute. That just puts you in deeper. That means Paula had no motive. Hey, how about insurance? Well, uh, there was a big policy Philip took out recently with Paula's beneficiary. He didn't change that. Oh, isn't that kind of strange? Oh, it wasn't something he overlooked. There was a funny smile on his face when he told me he was leaving that as is. That's very interesting. look, <laughs> Valentine, I didn't kill Philip. When I was there, I didn't even know he was out on the roof. Okay, I'll just take it easy. I'll do what I can. What can you do? You'll never get the truth about that key out of Paula. And Dr. Worse, Wormsley swears there was a man out there struggling with Philip. What man? A burglar? One of Paula's ex-boyfriends? Or possibly the man on the moon? I think I'll drop in on Paula again. I don't know what I expect to find, but... With a gal like that, the unexpected is bound to be interesting.
6: Well, if it isn't my next-door neighbor. What now? A cup of sugar, a couple of eggs. Well,
3: maybe I did make a little fib, but you didn't believe me anyway, did you, Mrs. Dunlap?
6: Paula. Okay.
3: Too bad about young Sterrett, isn't it?
6: What a thing to say to a grief stricken widow. Can I get you anything? We may as well make ourselves comfortable.
3: <laughs> You've got a head start in those lounging pajamas. They're really something.
6: Mm-hmm. I was wondering when you were going to notice me. Hey, you know,
3: I never appreciated before what lounging pajamas can do for a woman. Didn't you? No, no. I might say if she were out on a roof and someone happened to see her from Dr. Wormsley's window he mistake her for a man. If
6: he'd never seen a woman before.
0: His office
3: is more than two blocks away. But uh, to get back to our hypothetical woman... Yeah. How much do you guess she'd have coming to her if her husband were murdered... and there was a nice, fat insurance policy... the only thing he didn't cut her out of?
6: You've gotten a long way from lounging pajamas. Oh, I
3: don't know. And I can't help wondering what the lady in question would do... if she had a perfect patsy and a difficult young man... who was suffering pangs of conscience. She might even do something brash... If she happened to remember the Phi Beta Kappa key he gave her in a tender moment.
6: Tell me, have you confided these flights of fancy to anyone else? Oh, no, my
3: sweet. I wanted you to be the first to
6: no. know. And you, my sweet, will ruin your eyes reading all those pulp magazines. There's another angle to this lady of the rooftop. Oh, what's that? Hmm, with all the insurance money she's sure to get, with an admiring eye for a certain broad-shouldered character who seems to know what it's all about... Mm, he might make life very pleasant for him. Very.
3: Mm. Uh, you couldn't say he knew what it was all about if he fell for a pitch like that, now, could you?
6: Oh. I'd better get my cigarette before we go on with this little game. Or well, you can
3: quit playing anytime you want to.
6: My dear old father used to play a lot of poker. He used to say the game was never over till the last bluff was called.
3: Didn't your old man tell you that even one of those effeminate-looking automatics make a loud noise and leave holes when they go off?
6: I have a permit for this gun. Oh,
3: oh, come on now, Paula. Let's see if you can answer that phone with one hand.
6: (laughs) You know, Georgie, that could be your next-to-the-last blib remark.
3: When that phone stops ringing, you're going to worry yourself into a tizzy. trying to guess who it was.
6: We've been supposing a lot of things here tonight. Now let me top it off. Suppose they found you draped on the floor there with a bullet in your head. Okay, what then? I was in bed when I heard sounds in the living room. I opened the door. There was a figure in the darkness. After everything I'd been through, I didn't stop to think. I shot the prowler.
3: I gotta hand it to you, Paula.
6: Skip it. Just sit there on the couch a few minutes till I get my story straight. When I shoot you, I may have to tell the story a dozen times tonight, so it's got to be perfect.
7: (laughs)
3: Okay, you stalled too long. You missed a chance, beautiful. It'd be a mistake to shoot me now. What are you
6: talking about? Behind you. There's somebody out there on the penthouse roof. How you know I'm smarter than that. Well, who's... It? I'll take the
4: point. you. Robert. Oh,
5: that's you. Oh, George, there you are. I tried to call, and then I remembered about the empty penthouse next door and the adjoining sun deck, and... Oh, well, for Pete's sake, somebody say something. Oh,
3: just a little parlor game, Brooksy.
6: Yes, yes. I I was just showing Mr. Valentine how I almost mistook him for an intruder. Uh Uh, Lieutenant Raleigh will probably find it very amusing when we tell him
5: about it. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't the way i see seen it. For the
3: time being, Angel, we have to see things fall his way. But more important right now is to see if we can get a man out of bed. No trouble at all, Valentine. Don't mind selling a little insurance any time of the night. Are these all representative policies, Bennett? Yes, sir. Anything you want, we've got it. Life, accident, comprehensive liability, tornado insurance, plate glass.
5: Any insurance against fatality during parlor games?
3: Uh, What's that, Miss Brooks? Uh,
5: Just a private joke. This
3: life insurance policy. Oh, any amount you want. Just a simple, physical... Well, these clauses at the beginning, they are pretty standard in all life insurance policies, aren't they? yes, indeed. Each one of them meant to protect policyholder and the company.
5: What's up, George?
3: Well, uh, thanks a lot, Bennett. Uh, You've been a great help.
5: Yeah, but look, old man... Sorry, shopping around, but
3: I'll keep you in mind. Let's go, Brooksy. Brooksy, first thing in the morning, I want you to check with all the druggists in this section of town around Riverhouse, Dr. Wormsley's office, 20 or 30 blocks in each direction.
5: Oh, my aching I'm gonna feet. I'm going to
3: be with Lieutenant Riley. I hate to think of his blood pressure when I mention one little word. chief. That's the word. Darling, if I had any hair, I'd tear it out. What are you talking about? Well, I look, it can't do any harm, Lieutenant. No one in his right mind can doubt how Dunlap died. This Wormsley saw him shoved off the roof. Then the body was found sprawled all over an empty lot, 12 floors below. Cause and effect. I have every reason to doubt that Sterrett killed Dunlap. Uh, I suppose you're going to tell me Mrs. Dunlap killed him, huh? That she used to be the strong woman in the circus. I didn't say she killed him. Then who, what? Ah, for the love of heaven. How about that autopsy, Lieutenant. All right, Doctor. Will you tell Valentine here that he's just been wasting our time? I wouldn't say that, Lieutenant. Huh? What'd you find? Mm -hmm. Enough poison in Dunlap to stop an army dead in its tracks. All right. All right, I can't argue with the laboratory. But I don't get it, Valentine. How many times do you kill a man, poison, throw him off the roof? Ah! It's a wonder we didn't find a knife his back too. Doctor, just how does this particular poison work? Instantly. Every muscle in the body becomes rigid all at once and stays there. Uh-huh, way. then it's possible that after a couple of days, the effects of the poison could be mistaken for rigor mortis. Not only possible, Mr. Veltan, it seems just what happened. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If Dunlap's fist was clenched like that the moment the poison took effect, how did that 5 Beta copper key get in his hand? That's the point, Lieutenant. It was forced into it. And certainly Hal Sterrett didn't do it. That does it. That does it. I'm going to have Paula Dunlap picked up and she'd better have all the answers. Oh, no. No, Mrs. Dunlap, you're going to have to do better than that.
6: I know how it looks, Lieutenant Raleigh, but you're wrong, believe me.
3: Paula, you had to be the one who put that key in your husband's hand. Starrett wouldn't sign his own death warrant. I know, but... Here are the facts the jury will hear. You were the man Wormsley saw wearing lounging pajamas. You had the motive, the insurance money, so you poisoned Mr. Dunlap, then pushed him off the roof to implicate an innocent man.
6: All right. All right, I'll tell you just what happened.
3: Remember, Mrs. Dunlap, you're doing this of your own free will.
6: Hal Sterrett left that afternoon. I went out on the roof for a moment. Philip was there. An empty highball glass next to him. He was dead. Oh, don't look at me that way. He was already dead. He'd committed suicide.
3: How do you know that?
6: There was a note. Cruel note. Saying that I was the cause of all the unhappiness in his life. He was leaving me without a cent.
3: Okay. I suppose you have the note.
6: No. No, I destroyed
3: it. Oh, no, that wasn't very smart.
6: Don't you see? I had to. So no one would ever find out it was suicide.
3: Now, wait a minute.
6: There was a clause in his policy. It's in most policies. Saying that if he killed himself within the first year... The beneficiary wouldn't get a cent. Not much is true, Lieutenant. What I did was wrong, but I wasn't going to let Philip leave me without a cent. That'll stand up in court, won't it? Even though I did destroy the note, they'll believe me, won't they?
3: Since you ask my opinion, the answer's no. But my job is finished now.
5: No, no. George. George. Hey,
3: how goes it, Brooksy? What luck?
5: You were right. I found out what you wanted to know at the Gotham Pharmacy on Morton Boulevard. Now what? What am I going to do? I've got to find a way to prove I'm innocent. This isn't fair.
3: Remembering that gun you held in my face and Hal stared I'm tempted to keep my mouth shut and let you stew in your own juice. What do you mean? Me and you both. I don't know what charge you're going to hold her on, Lieutenant. But it won't be murder. What?
6: Did you hear what he said,
5: Lieutenant?
3: What are you talking about, Valentine? Brooksie just found out that Philip Dunlap bought that poison himself at the Gotham Pharmacy.
5: On a doctor's prescription he forged. Oh, George. Oh, how can I ever thank you? Oh,
3: that's easy. The next time you're up on that roof alone... See if you can prove the law of gravity really works,
5: George. Don't you think that was sort of a morbid joke for Dunlap to play on his wife? Well,
3: Angel, Paula played a few pretty grim jokes herself.
5: Yes, but to leave her name in that insurance policy, knowing that she wouldn't get a penny... Crime,
4: punishment, super... Oh, uh, hello. Anybody here? Oh, Oh, Dr. Burns. I just thought I'd drop in and take care of that little bill I owe you. Oh,
5: thanks. Um, How do the birds look these days, Doctor?
4: What? Oh, yes, yes. That reminds me. I must thank you, Valentine, for keeping my name out of the Dunlap case. After all, I was the key witness, and I... uh, Oh dear! Well, that's all washed up now. Thank goodness. Oh yes, Mrs. Dunlap isn't living there anymore. You know, it seems three young ladies are sharing that apartment now. And yesterday, why, Doctor Wormsley, what kind of birds are you watching now? Oh well, uh, they—they were very wild canaries. Oh goodness, (laughs) what am I saying? (laughs)
2: And now, a message of importance to motorists. If this is the time of year your family gets travel-minded, it's probably the time you start thinking about new tires. And you know which make of tire gives you a written warranty against ordinary road hazards? The answer is easy. Atlas tires. That's right. Each new Atlas passenger tire is warranted for 12 months against blowouts, cuts, and bruises that might happen to ordinary tires. And each Atlas tire has a double warranty. First, by the manufacturer, and second, by the distributor. Another thing to keep in mind when you're buying tires is that two or four wear better than an uneven number. Give you softer riding and easier car handling. For that extra margin of safety, get Atlas tires at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations, where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when
3: you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear. Well, Brooksy looks like playing Big Brother. Alice Spencer Tracy didn't work out. Eddie beat it while I was shaving.
5: Oh, that crazy little kid! he
3: yeah, left this note. He's on the prowl. to quote he's going after, Stan Lucas.
5: Oh no! What can we do, George? I
3: gotta stop him somehow. Hey, listen. You look up Emily. Maybe she can give us a clue on how we can find Eddie. Okay, George. And remember, Brooksy. It's a race against time. <laughs>
1: Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Our Miss Brooks premiered on CBS July 19th of 1948. And according to radio critic John Crosby, her lines were very feline in dialogue scenes with Principal Conklin and would-be boyfriend Boynton. Jeff Chandler played Boynton and stayed with the role for five years, even after becoming a movie star. He ultimately resigned because it was just too exhausting to juggle a radio role with his film commitments. Eve Arden won a Radio Listener's Poll by Radio Mirror magazine as the top-ranking comedian of 1948-49. Receiving her award at the end of our Miss Brooks broadcast that March, she joked, I'm certainly going to try in the coming months to merit the honor you've bestowed upon me because I understand that if I win this two years in a row... I get to keep Mr. Boynton. But she was also a hit with the critics. A winter 1949 poll of newspaper and magazine radio editors, taken by Motion Picture Daily, named her as the year's best radio comedian. So let's get the laughs rolling along with Eve Arden as Connie, and she tries to plan a summer vacation with a zero bank account.
8: Now it's R. Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. Well, like many of us, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has been making plans for a summer vacation. Last Thursday morning at breakfast, she discussed the subject with her landlady.
9: Mrs. Davis, this summer, I'm really going to relax and
10: enjoy myself. Good for you, Connie. What are you going to do? Well, I've been thinking of Europe. What a wonderful way to spend your vacation. I can see you now, all through the warm summer nights, sitting out in our backyard... Thinking of Europe.
7: (laughs) I'm not
9: just going to think about it, Mrs. Davis. I'm determined to travel this year. My goodness. What made you arrive at that decision? Well, frankly, I couldn't resist those Hawkins travel posters all over town. You've seen them. Let Hawkins guide you through Italy. Let Hawkins guide you through France. Well, yesterday, I went to their office and told them what I could afford for a summer vacation. What did they say? Let Hawkins guide you through Yonkers. (laughs) But when I told them I was a teacher, they made me a very interesting proposition. All I have to do is get three friends to take one of their tours, and I get mine for a third of the price.
10: Oh, that sounds wonderful, Connie.
9: How have you progressed so far? So far, all I need is three friends and a third of the price. (laughs) (laughs) Say, maybe
10: you might like to take the tour with me. Me? But Connie, how could I? The only possible way I might afford a trip like that would be if I were to collect all the back rent you owe me.
9: Well, that lets you out. (laughs) You see, Mrs. Davis, if I paid you back everything I owe... I
10: didn't mean to ruin your day, Connie. Your credit is still good with me. Besides, even if you did make a substantial payment to me through some sudden miracle... I still couldn't go abroad. I feel I should spend a summer with my sister, Angela.
9: Oh, isn't she
10: feeling well, Mrs. Davis? Well, she's all right physically, but the poor thing gets more absent-minded every year. She really needs me, Connie. Did I tell you about our last telephone conversation? No, you didn't. No, I didn't what, dear? <laughs> you didn't tell me about your last phone conversation. Well, you seldom tell me about your phone conversation.
9: <laughs> Pull up a couch and lie down. Uh, to get back to my plans. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's Walter Denton. Be right there, Walter.
10: Mm-hmm. Oh, thank goodness he's not coming in for breakfast. We've only got six eggs left. <laughs> Before you go, I'd like to make a suggestion What is it? Why don't you tell Walter about the Hawkins Travel Agency Maybe his parents would like to send him away for the summer
9: (laughs) They'd probably love to send him away But I don't think it would be fair to Europe (laughs) There's something different about the car today, Walter You've made it very cheerful somehow
11: just by adding you miss brooks <laughs> now there's something
9: plus me i know you've painted the top a nice shade of sky blue yeah
11: i've done better than that i left the top at home <laughs> you are looking at the sky itself oh well it's better than looking straight
9: ahead nothing to see there but fleeing pedestrians <laughs> Uh, Walter, have you noticed the travel posters all over town?
11: Yeah, yeah, I have, Miss Brooks. Why?
9: I was just wondering.
11: Hmm. How would you like to eat your way across... Uh, travel across...
9: <laughs> across Europe this summer?
11: Me? Oh, my folks would never let me go abroad alone. <laughs> well, so much the better. Maybe they'd
9: enjoy a European trip, too.
11: Yeah, nah, I'm afraid not, Miss Brooks. They've already made their plans for a summer vacation. Well, I'm sorry they've got other plans, Walter. It would have been nice to have you all along. But along? Are you going abroad, Miss Brooks? I'm trying
9: to. If I tell you something in strictest confidence, will you promise to keep it quiet?
11: My jaws are a steel trap.
9: (laughs) That I know. Just be
11: sure you keep them shut.
9: (laughs) The truth is, Walter, if I can get three other customers for the Hawkins Agency...
11: I can tour France and Switzerland for a third of the regular price. Gosh, that's a wonderful deal, Miss Brooks. Have you thought about Mr. Conklin? Only when I eat something heavy before going to bed. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Conklin
9: never takes his family any place but to Crystal Lake. They have a cottage there, you know.
11: Yeah, I know, but Harriet told me that her mother's fed up with it and would very much like to travel this summer. Look, why don't you drop in and have a heart-to-heart talk with Mr. Conklin? I don't know, Walter.
9: As a rule, he isn't very partial to suggestions that come from me.
11: But Harriet and Mrs. Conklin have been buttering him up for weeks. All you'd have to do is apply the final coat. (laughs) And if I may be permitted a personal observation, Miss Brooks, you are without a doubt the greatest little salve artist since Florence Nightingale. (laughs)
9: Thank you, Dr. Kildare. (laughs)
12: It's finished, Daddy. I've dusted your office until it shines.
8: Thank you, Harriet.
12: Oh, don't mention it, Daddy. Why, it's the least any daughter could do for a father who's so sweet and considerate and unselfish.
8: Please, Harriet. This is all that is taking the starch out of my collar.
12: <laughs>
8: However, I do appreciate your getting my office in shape. Mr. Stone is coming over from the Board of Education this afternoon to discuss next term's curriculum.
12: Next term? But, Daddy, we haven't had our summer vacation yet. And while we're on the subject...
8: While we're on the subject, let's drop it. I may have a very pleasant surprise for your mother and yourself if things work out this afternoon.
12: A surprise? What kind, Daddy? Oh, come on, you can tell me. I won't breathe a word to a soul.
8: Well, you'd worm it out of me sooner or later, I suppose. Briefly, I've made an arrangement with the Hawkins Travel Agency whereby we can visit Honolulu... For one third of the regular rate, if we secure three other tourists for them.
12: And you think Mr. Stone might be one of the prospects?
8: Exactly. He'd probably love a vacation trip. He's often mentioned how hard he's been working. <laughs> That's a laugh.
7: <laughs> Chairman
8: of the Board of Education working hard. <laughs> Don't quote me, John.
12: Daddy, what
8: about the other two? Who is it? It's Miss Brooks, sir. One moment, Miss Brooks. She's the last person in the world I want to see this morning, always grumbling about something but or other.
12: Daddy, I understand Miss Brooks is going to do some traveling this summer.
8: I don't care what Miss Brooks is going to do this summer, Harriet, so long as she's going to do some traveling this summer. <laughs> Come in, <laughs> That will be all, Harriet. Run along to
7: class. Yes,
9: Daddy. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hi, Harriet. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hi, Harriet.
8: Well, sit down, sit down. How is my favorite English teacher this morning?
9: Oh, Miss Enright is fine, Mr. Conklin. (laughs) No, no,
8: I was referring to you, my dear. I can't tell you how delighted I am to see you. I was just thinking of the past year and how you've helped so greatly to make it a happy one for me. Huh? (laughs) Oh, we've had our little differences. Some unfortunate incidents have occurred. Like the time you dropped the typewriter on my sore foot.
7: <laughs> the
8: afternoon you spilled the ink on my new suit. And that day in the cafeteria when you wantonly rushed me from behind and scattered a tray full of food all over my vest. And then when you had the colossal go! <laughs> This is all water under the bridge, isn't it? <laughs> what I started to say was that I, I wouldn't have known what to do without you.
9: Well, that's very sweet of you, Mr. Conklin.
8: Not at all. Where would Madison High School be without teachers like yourself?
9: And where would we teachers be without a principal like yourself?
8: Oh, you're very kind, Miss Brooks
9: You're generous, Mr. Conklin. You're loyal. You're sincere. You're honest. You're benevolent. You're a true blue. Oh, I'm sorry if I forgot to wait my
8: turn. Uh, Miss Brooks, I heard you were thinking of traveling this summer.
9: And I heard you were thinking of traveling this summer.
8: Uh, Yes, yes. I was considering the possibility of a trip to Honolulu. I was considering Switzerland. You'd love Honolulu, Miss Brooks.
7: Oh, you'd be wild
9: about Switzerland, Mr. Conklin.
8: Honolulu is so (laughs) relaxed.
7: Switzerland is so
9: invigorating. It's so colorful. It's majestic. It's delightful. It's awe-inspiring. It's... It's... Oops, you almost missed your turn again.
8: (laughs) Well, Miss Brooks, wherever you do elect to travel, I'd like to call a certain agency to your attention. Have you heard of the Hawkins Travel Agency? Oh,
9: yes, indeed. They are very efficient.
8: Uh, They're extremely alert. They're up to the minute. Uh, They're
11: progressive.
9: Uh, They're... I pass. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's just say we agree that the Hawkins Agency is the one we'll both use this summer.
11: Fine. Fine.
8: You've been most cooperative, Miss Brooks. Well, you're sweet to say so. You're extremely thoughtful.
9: Uh, You're... Mr. Conklin, before we go around again, there's something I'd like to say.
8: Uh, What's that, Miss Brooks?
9: This is the first time I've ever heard of two people polishing the same
11: apples.
8: (laughs) Well, things are going just fine so far. Uh, Yes, I've got one of the customers I need for our deal all sewed up, Mr.
7: Hawkins.
8: (laughs) When I told him I was going to use your service, too, our principal all but jumped down my throat. Well, now all I need are two more and I'll be on my way to Mexico. Oh, I don't anticipate a bit of trouble. One of my prospects is waiting to have lunch with me right now. Well, thank you, Mr. Hawkins. Hasta la vista. So oh, we're right over here, Mr. Barton. Well, I'll be over as soon as I stop at the steam table, Miss Brooks. You
9: don't have to. I picked up lunch for both
8: of us. Oh. Well... You shouldn't have done this, Miss Brooks. I wanted to buy lunch for you today. You did? Well, I have the checks right here. It was very thoughtful of you to take care of it, though. I, I shouldn't let you do it, really.
9: Well, you can still pick up the...
8: Bad enough that you pay for your own lunch without trying to... Well,
9: nothing's been paid for yet, Mr. Vaughn. The cashier's on the way out, and if you want oh, to Oh, it wouldn't
8: you... be very gracious of me to make an issue of it now, I suppose.
7: <laughs>
8: but I, I don't want this to become a habit. Now, from here on in, it's Dutch. Sounds exciting.
9: Uh, By the way, Mr. Boynton, I understand you're thinking of doing some traveling this summer.
8: Yes, Miss Brooks, I am planning a trip. I think it's the only way to spend a vacation. How about you?
9: Oh, nothing like it. I'm determined to travel this summer. Oh, may
8: I ask where to, Miss Brooks?
9: France and Switzerland, mostly. Oh, I can picture it now. Bern, Lucerne, Interlaken. I'm going to Mexico. Acapulco, Ensenada, Tijuana. <laughs> well, there's nothing like it.
8: Yeah, but, Miss Brooks, the cities you just mentioned are in Mexico, not Switzerland.
9: I know, but I'm not prejudiced. <laughs> maybe I'll take a peek at Mexico before I hit the continent. Or better yet, maybe I can persuade you to come to Europe with me.
8: Mm, I don't know, Miss Brooks. Mexico's pretty exciting.
9: Switzerland's invigorating.
8: Mexico is so colorful.
9: Switzerland is so majestic.
8: Mexico is so romantic.
9: Switzerland is so Mexican. (laughs) I mean, it would be nice to travel together, Mr. Boynton.
8: Well, I'm not planning a very luxurious trip, Miss Brooks. I'd want to see something of the back country.
9: Oh, naturally, naturally. I can see us now, sitting together under a big Mexican moon.
8: I'd hire a couple of donkeys and... After five days of steady riding, we'd be deep in the interior.
9: I can see us now standing under a big Mexican moon. You
7: know, Miss
8: Brooks, I'm extremely interested in the remains of the Aztec and Inca civilization. And come to think of it, there's no one with whom I'd rather explore those old ruins than you.
9: (laughs) Whether to feel flattered or have my face lifted. <laughs> but, Mr. Boynton, wherever we decide to go this summer, I think a good travel agency is most important, don't you? Oh, oh yes, I do. Have you heard of the Hawkins Agency?
8: Oh, I was just going to ask you the same question. They're very efficient. Oh,
9: they're extremely alert.
8: They're up to the minute.
9: They're progressive, and I pass again.
8: <laughs> then it's agreed. You'll use the Hawkins Travel Agency? I wouldn't go
9: anywhere without them.
8: Positively, Miss Brooks?
9: Absolutely, Mr. Sheehan.
11: Wait up a minute, Miss Brooks. Oh, hello, Walter. Oh, glad I caught you before your next class. I've been anxious to find out how you did with Mr. Conklin this morning. Wonderfully, Walter. He's promised to use the Hawkins
9: Travel Agency this summer. And better than that, so has Mr. Boynton. Now all I
11: need is one more customer, and it's gay Paree for little me. (laughs) Yeah, that's cute. And, Miss Brooks, I think I've got just what you want right here in my pocket. You never fit. Oh, you need (laughs) another customer. Yeah, exactly. I heard from Harriet that Mr. Stone's coming over this afternoon, and I happen to know that he's extremely interested in traveling this year. Of course, he might be a little tougher to approach than the others, but... I've thought of a way around that. Walter, what would I do without you? Ooh, don't even think of such a bleak prospect.
7: <laughs>
11: hey, but, Miss Brooks, if you're going to sell Mr. Stone on a trip, you've got to do it graphically. Not just with words, but with gestures and costumes.
10: Huh? Yeah,
12: I
11: figured that out, too. In the home economics room is a complete wardrobe designed for the senior show. Oh. There's one black satin gown in particular in there that's guaranteed to make young men old and old men young. Oh, nice. Kill garment. Ooh, la la. <laughs> How do you know it'll fit me? Either the tighter the better, n'est-ce pas? <laughs>
8: Well, it seems that both Mr. Conklin and Miss Brooks have the same prospect in mind as their third tourist for the Hawkins Travel Agency. This doesn't seem too illogical when you consider that they had the same prospects in mind for the first two tourists as well. However, this time they have both decided to convince their man graphically. Well, Harriet, if Mr. Stone will fall for the line of malarkey, i If he'll act upon my suggestion. That is, if you'll utilize the Hawkins Travel Agency this summer, we'll get a trip to... Honolulu for practically nothing.
7: Oh, it
12: sounds great, Daddy. And this costume you've put on should certainly help to convince him. We were lucky to find a flower lay and this uke in the senior show prop box. They go beautifully with that gay Hawaiian shirt you're wearing.
8: Well, we can only hope that, so that must be Mr. Stone now. I'd like to talk to him alone, Harriet.
12: All right, Daddy. I'll go out for your inner office. Good luck.
13: Come in, please. Oh, good afternoon, Osgood, I...
8: Oh, pardon me, madam. <laughs> oh, you, you, you were right the first time, Mr. Stone. It is indeed I, Osgood Conklin. Aloha, sir. What? No doubt you're wondering why I'm dressed in this manner.
13: Oh, no, all my principals come to school with flower lays around their necks.
8: I'm merely trying to create a mental image for you. A mental image? I want to go back. To my little grass shack in Kea Lake (laughs) Oua Oh, no! (laughs) With the Hoomahoomah Nuka Nuka um, Apa Oua Swimming by.
5: (laughs) Conklin,
13: put down that ukulele. (laughs) Pardon me, sir, but it's (laughs)
8: ukulele.
13: Well, whatever it is, put it away.
8: Have you taken leave of your senses? I know, sir. It's just I heard you're contemplating a trip this summer, and, well, I thought I might be able to give you an idea of where to go. No, I could easily give you an idea of where to go. You see, I'm well aware of the efficacy of a graphic description. That's why I'm clad in this fashion. I, Mr. Stone, represent Honolulu.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Honolulu? (laughs) Honolulu?
13: Trying to do keep people on the mainland this summer. Uh,
8: come in, Mr. Boynton. What are you doing with that sombrero on? And that horse blanket draped over your shoulder, Boynton? Are you posing as a Mexican? See, si, Señor. Now listen to me. No, what? you listen, Mr. Conklin. Ay, ya el Rancho Grande, ah ya. Have you a rancherita? Que alegre me de sia Que alegre me de sia <laughs> <laughs> well.
13: seen everything. Between that guitar and your confounded ukulele, Conklin. I, uh,
8: I think it's ukulele, Mr. Stone.
13: I don't
8: care what you think, Boynton. I did not mean to upset you, Mr. Stone. Just that I heard you were planning a trip and I thought you might enjoy a visit to Mexico. Mexico nothing, Boynton. We're all going to Honolulu.
13: Contradiction, but I haven't decided yet where I'm going, Leilani.
7: <laughs> oh, then I still
8: have the chance. Ayan <laughs> El Rancho Grande. Allan, baby.
7: I... <laughs> now cut that out. <laughs> Conklin.
13: I came over here to discuss the curriculum for next semester. And if I can do so without any further interruptions, I'll be very
7: surprised. <laughs> Come in. Yes, rocks. <laughs> And they
8: say television isn't bringing back vaudeville.
7: <laughs> Brooks, what
8: are you doing in that Parisian gown and an Alpine hat? <laughs> He's probably trying to represent France.
9: But, naturellement.
13: And Switzerland.
9: But certainly. Both? But of course not. Oh, there is nothing like Paris in the summer. The Arc de Triomphe, the Rue de la Paix, the Place de la Concorde, and Piccadilly Circus.
7: <laughs>
13: miss Brooks, Piccadilly Circus happens to be in London.
9: Right-o, Governor, but if you were so nearby, you wouldn't want to miss that now, would you?
13: No,
8: no, see here, Miss Brooks.
9: But then I... when you leave Paris, you must come with me to Switzerland. In the alpine villages that are French, you will find the wine, the women, and the song.
13: I'm sure that's true, Miss And I...
9: then we go to the Bavarian Alps. <laughs> Immediately you notice there is a big difference. A big difference? Yeah. There, with the women and the song, you get beer. I <laughs> what beer? Two bottles, and you ski down the whole mountains without your skis. <laughs> Well,
8: all this is very enlightening However
9: That's the way uh, you're wrong Is there no lightning in the Italiano Alps?
13: (laughs) The Italiano Alps?
7: (laughs)
9: You know, remember Switzerland's Italiano
7: colony? (laughs) The Fazool.
13: Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but to me this sounds like Arthur Godfrey and his
7: enemies. (laughs) Well,
9: I was just trying to convince you to travel through Switzerland this summer, Mr. Uh, Stone.
13: I'm afraid I have no intention of going to Switzerland, Miss Brooke. Good. (laughs) Hi, Arnold. I'm not going to Mexico either. Of course, he's not. I'm not going to visit the Hawaiian
9: Islands. Well, then where are you going, Mr. Stone?
13: I'll tell you in a moment. But first, may I say that I'm very touched that you're all so anxious to have me with you during the coming vacation.
9: Well, that's because we're all so fond of you, Mr.
13: Stone. Then you'll be pleased to know that you're all going traveling with me this summer. You see, by bringing in you three customers, I get a very reasonable deal from the Hawkins (laughs) Traveling. And the trip I have planned for us is a walking trip through
8: darkest Africa. (laughs) Darkest Africa? Darkest Africa? Miss Brooks, where are you going?
9: I'm going on a trip through darkest Africa, I'll have to get my batteries recharged.
8: Ernest Rook, starring Martin Frank Strybe, the position directed by Larry Burns, written by Arthur Osberg, and Al Lewis with the musical Vapor Heart. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
2: Sports fans, be sure to listen at 2105 hours this evening as AFN Sports brings you the second in a series of games between the Mets and the Giants, direct from Shea Stadium in New York. This
8: is the American Forces Network, Europe. AFN Orleans. The Chinon Protestant women of the chapel and the Protestant men of the chapel will sponsor a joint potluck dinner Tuesday, May 17th. The dinner will begin at 19 hours in the fellowship room of the hospital chapel. Each person is asked to bring his silverware and enough food to provide for his family size. After the dinner, Captain Marshall Matthews will show his slides on Africa. Don't miss this interesting and informative evening.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be here tomorrow night when Life with Luigi will be followed by Life of Riley. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.